Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And indeed, welcome to the Sages Among Us. Good evening. I'm Keith Porter. My guest today is Tom Anderson, retired last year from his role as Nevada County Superior Court Judge, and he remains engaged in civic activities in our community. We're going to find out all about that. So, Tom, your honor, do I still call you that? Yeah, you can, but we're not in court, so no, you can just call me Tom. <laughs> okay. Uh, welcome to the hot seat on the Sages Among Us. Uh, let me share just a brief thumbnail of a sketch of your background with our audience, and then we're going to talk about you and your role in the community in some good depth this evening. Uh, you were born in Pennsylvania. Uh, you went to yep. Kent State, got your bachelor's in literature. Now, that doesn't seem like a direct career path into the law, but we'll explore that a little further, see okay. how that worked out. Uh, and in, in, in that vein, your career apparently included a number of different kinds of uh, activities as you got to where you ultimately were as a yeah. lawyer and a judge. Uh, you were a respiratory therapist, a uh, social worker. Wow, I don't know how all that. But then you went back to school, got your, your JD at Golden Gate University. You were in private practice for about 14 years. You became a public defender in Lassen County, mm -hmm. uh, and then in 2000, came to Nevada County in that role, and that's an interesting role I want to talk some more about. Okay. And in 27, you were elected judge of the Superior Court in Nevada County and served there until last year, right? Yes. Well, great. Say, welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, so um, you were born in Meadville, Pennsylvania. You said your mother had nine siblings. Wow, she, she was part yeah. of a big family. The old school, yeah. yeah. And a father was a uh, first or second generation Swedish, Swedish immigrant. Yes. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your early life. What were your parents like, and how did their outlook and the way they lived their lives influence your life's direction? Well, my, both of my folks were really practical, down-to-earth people. You know, my, my mother growing up, on a, my grandfather was a, a plasterer back in the day, and uh, they had a, you know, they had a cow and they had chickens and they're pretty self-sufficient folks and just hard workers. And with a family that big, everybody sort of carries their, their load. And that was back, you know, in the uh, 30s. She, she had to walk, you know, two miles to school and, and home every day. And that was just so you self-sufficiency, termination. So as a kid, did you ever visit this farm with all the oh, animals? Yeah, we, that was where we went every holiday. Ah, great. <laughs> great. So uh, your parents, what kind of people were they in terms of how that influenced your life? Well, I, they, you know, they just expected us to do what was – you expected to do what was right and take care of yourself as best you can. So all of them, my brothers and sister and I, you know, we all had jo little jobs growing up. And then we – soon when I was like 11 or 12, I got a paper route. And learn to save money and have a responsibility. Well, so uh, with that group of uh, what, two brothers and one sister, four yeah. of you, uh, were you the good child or did you get into some trouble? Uh, I was the last child, so I was. Oh, the you most were the youngest, spoiled the baby. Of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I would say my sister was most spoiled because she was the only girl. Uh. But she would say I was the most spoiled. 
Well, we'll have her on someday, baby. Okay. <laughs> See how this works out. Uh, but no mischief? I mean, you were just a good kid, huh? Oh, not till when I got to be a teenager, I was obnoxious like everybody else. You know? <laughs> and plus, you know, it was the middle 60s. So it just sort of... Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> memories, adventures in high school. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Did you, did you do sports? You, what kinds of things did you bring I, tr- I tried sports. Uh, you know, I ended up, I, w- I was a little small for my, I was like five, six, five, seven when I was in high school trying to play basketball. And I tried to play football weighing less than 100 pounds. Really? Now, you're a pretty good, very, pretty good sized guy. I, that was after high school. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you had your growth spurt a little late, huh? Yes. Okay. Exactly what the basketball coach said when I ran into him years later. <laughs> really? How'd you get so tall, huh? Yeah. <laughs> So could you shoot the ball in basketball? I could shoot. I could dribble and shoot a little bit, but, you know, I was yeah. short. and He's giving me his two hands, That's one right. short, one tall, tall, and your your shots are blocked by somebody <laughs> that was six feet six. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I understand how that went. So um, tell, tell me a little bit about your siblings. Um, any, um, how, how did, what did they do with their lives vis-a-vis well, what you did with your yeah, life? Yeah, I mean, I think this, I think the, the the paths of my brothers and sister sort of give, tells you what my parents were like better than just trying to describe it. Like my older brother, Charlie, uh, he, was, he was born in 41. And uh, when he got out of high school, he, be, he became a sports writer. He went to college part-time, but he was the sports writer for the local newspaper. And by the time he was 20, he was sports editor of the local uh-huh. paper. And by the time he was 22, they wanted to make him... Uh, the editor-in-chief or managing editor of the paper. And so I think, and he didn't really like that part. So he uh, opened up uh, a tavern and then he had the tavern for a number of years and he opened up a restaurant with the cocktail lounge in a a very successful place that he ran until he retired. And uh, my other brother, John, uh, has a PhD in psychology he ended up, he was in the Air Force, and then ended up being head of the psych department at the Air Force Academy. Okay, so and, achievers, huh? A bit. And then my sister had uh, was a master's degree in speech therapy. She was a speech therapist, and then she became a hospital administrator. She has her PhD in some, some sort of hospital administration. Sounds like you had good parents and raised some good kids. Yeah. That's cool. All right, so high school afterwards, you went to Kent State. That was fairly close to home, I guess. Yeah, right? it wasn't. Yeah, you know, it wasn't my first school. I went to a couple schools before I got there. But, oh, okay. And then, uh, um, in 19, spring of seventy, the murders at Kent State happened. Yes. And that was May fourth of nineteen seventy. So, I then uh, went to the next the next winter. I trans. I went to Kent and rolled it, moved over and went to Kent. Okay, so bachelor's in literature. Yeah. Now, how does that connect to your ultimate life story, literature? <laughs> well, I mean, literature is life, right? I mean, yeah. the more you read, the more you know, and the more you experience the world and other people and cultures and ideas. Well, I guess my question is, then, what did you want to do with your life at that point? What were you thinking your your career was going to be? 
I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> sound like sound like many college students, right? Yeah. And you know, I, I enjoyed college for the sake of being in college and taking different classes and stuff. And it was also a tumultuous time. Yes. So uh, you know, there were a lot of demonstrations going on. There were a lot of things happening those days in the early seventies. Um, so when I was done, you know, I wasn't sure where I was going. Well, you, you listed your work history. I'm quoting yeah. here. Paperboy, landscaping, laborer, bartender, factory, social worker, respiratory therapy, technician, and lawyer and judge. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm guessing the bartender part might have something to do with your brother's That's right. I got my start. And then when I went to Kent, I had a job, you know, right away working in a local bar. And I worked my way through school. So how does, how does one slot in a little time as a social worker in, that, in those young years? Oh, when um, they used to have the CETA program. I don't know if you remember what that was. It was a government program to help. They would send out social workers to neighborhoods and help them clean up and repair the neighborhoods. Yeah. And I teamed up with a young woman in the Skills McElrath part of Ravenna, Ohio, which is a distant suburb of Cleveland. And it was a really um, serious discrimination place. These two parts of the city had been uh, had been uh, f- large farms, and they had slaves back oh, in wow, the 1800s. Yeah. And then when the city sort of grew, Ravenna, Ohio, they drew lines around, and instead of incorporating these neighborhoods, they cut them out. So they had no service. They had no sewage. They had no regular water. Right. They c- cut them out of services. And it was, you know, there was still Ku Klux Klan in that part of Ohio then. Wow. So we, I got to work in that neighborhood with some with locals and, the, and some local young youngsters, tearing down rubble buildings. We built a we built a ball field and cleaned up some property. And it was so, so the, fascinating. The, yeah, I mean, you weren't a social worker, you know, sitting in a clinic somewhere. No, that sort we were, of thing. It you was were hands on. Really, really hands on. Yeah. Well, how about the respiratory therapy part? That that's interesting too. Yeah. Well. There was a period when I was unemployed after out of being out of school. This was like 1974 or 5. And so I went back to my hometown. And, I, you know, there was a mov- movement at that time to encourage people with, um, you know, Bachelor of Arts degrees to go to medical school to try yeah. to humanize the medical profession. Oh. And I thought, that might be interesting. You know, it's a hands-on, helpful kind of career. And so I went to the local hospital to see if I could get a job to sort of feel it out. Yeah. And the, back then, the the hospital was run by nuns, Sisters of St. Joseph. And so I went in to meet with the head administrator who asked me my name. And she goes, is, is your mother's name Virginia? And I went, <laughs> yes. Virginia Hogue? I said, yeah. She goes, oh, I was principal at St. Bridget's. I, all of your aunts... I had a, and your uncles, I had a students. Small uh, uh, town, huh? <laughs> so she gave me a job. <laughs> cool. And, uh, yeah, I worked at that for a year, and then uh, I was going to move to Cleveland, Ohio, to cover the Kent State civil trials mm-hmm. uh, and for the ACLU. And I moved – and so I went to Cleveland, but I still had to have a job to pay rent and stuff because this job reporting on the trials didn't pay anything. So I, I, got, I went to this Mount Sinai Hospital, 
And because of my experience, they hired for me a job, but it had to be full-time. So I took the job as full-time. I gave the coverage jobs to a friend of mine who was a writer and lived in Cleveland for a year. All right. Well, I'm Keith Porter. My guest today is Tom Anderson. He's retired. Uh, he retired last year from his role as Nevada County Superior Court Judge. He remains very engaged in civic activities in this community, and we're just uh, kind of tracing through his life, uh, his <laughs> career experiences. So um, you, that's all, those are the ways you fill the eight years between uh, your yeah, in BA school. in literature and law school at, at right. Golden Gate U uh, in California. What brought you to California? I had come out in the summer of 70 and did summer school at San Francisco State because I wanted the, a California experience. Ah. I had to sell my... 64 Ford Falcon convertible to get I had one there. of those. Yeah? A 64 Ford Falcon? Yeah. Wow. Mine was red with a white top. Oh, mine was black. Okay. <laughs> and mine had a big squeak when I drive through and try to cruise. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so I wanted to come back to California, so I applied to schools in San Francisco. Okay. Um, and uh, you obviously got your JD. You started your private law practice in 82 and con continued through 96. Where where was that? What part of the world? San Francisco and Oakland is where I had my oh. offices. Yeah. Okay, uh, but then you became public defender in Lassen County in '96. So yeah. what what was that transition about? How did that well, work out? That was coming back to my office one night in '96, um, and uh, we had our our first kid was born in '94, okay. our daughter Eve, and um, I, you know, I was in my office at 10 o'clock at night on a weeknight having just come back from the county jail interviewing clients and thinking, you know, I should be home. So we got to look at something. And there was an ad for Lassen County wanted to create a public defender office. Really? So I care for what you asked for. I applied and they hired me. <laughs> so you created the office? Yeah. And you moved to uh, where? Susanville? Exciting Susanville. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My sister-in-law was in Susanville for a number of years, taught high school. Maybe you're, maybe you're one of your kids. <laughs> who knows? Um, no. Uh, but I think the popular stereotype of a public defender is that it's high pressure, underappreciated, kind of a thankless job in some respects. How would you describe it? Um, that's true from a certain perspective, but it's also very rewarding because you work very closely with clients. Yeah. And, you know, your job is to try to give them options. You know, and they're not always not guilty. Some of them are. But you, you, work, this, you work within the system to try to give them opportunity and some choices. So I'm guessing you found that fulfilling and enjoyable Very. from a personal perspective. Yeah. What parts of that job did you have to just grin and bear it in order to be able to do it? Uh, well, sometimes you have to, like, make friends with uh, other people in the system who are not nice. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's a judge. Sometimes it might be a prosecutor or even sometimes another defense attorney. You want to name any judges that aren't nice? No, probably no. not. <laughs> I, I have a short memory, so I don't remember their names. Anyway. <laughs> okay. But there aren't right. many. So you apparently succeeded in, in the role, uh, and you came to Nevada County. Uh, what, what prompted that move? Uh, I don't know if you recall, but back in 1999, 2000, there was a big brouhaha in the local public defender's office. And uh, we weren't living here at the yeah, time, so uh, it was a it was a they made it a big it was a very big brouhaha. One of the one of the attorneys was suing the, the office in the county, and it was it was just kind of an ugly time. And the uh -oh. and the public defender at that time quit and moved away. And um, the county administrator, the chief administrator of the county at the time, 
uh, uh, reached out and and called me and asked if I'd be interested. So, so this person knew you? No, but he had heard of me through. Yeah, so you had a else. reputation, and you obviously yeah. succeeded in Lassen County at doing something yeah. good and something right. Yeah, yeah, good. So I came here, and you know, it was it was tough. It was a the the office was uh, there was a lot of friction amongst the people in the office at the time, and we just sort of sat down and worked with everybody, you know, because, I mean, with all with the lawyers and the secretaries, it was only a dozen, 13 people. Okay. So it was easy to work one-on-one with folks and get back to our common purpose. And so you did that for seven years, more or less, and, mm-hmm. and you, if you feel successful about that, did, did oh, it? Oh, yeah. I was very proud of Corinne. I really I enjoyed that role a lot. So you were elected judge, you know, mm-hmm. Superior Court judge, uh, in 07, I believe. Yeah, uh, it was the 06 election. 06 election, so you start serving in 07? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and then you served until last year. Um, did you seek that the judgeship, the, that position? <laughs> um, no, actually. Um, things were going quite well in the public defender's office. And, um, but uh, when the position came open, the, one, the judge that was retiring, Carl Bryan, was going to did not want his position to go to the governor, so he waited to retire till his term ended. Okay, which meant that it just go for a straight election. Okay, and there was some people running that uh, had a presumption that they were going to be the elected person. They seemed to be popular and well known, and then some of the court clerks and a couple of judges started asking me if I would consider running. And I first was like, yeah, I don't know. And I, I had some discussions with them for a while about, you know, why I'm doing, I'm fine where I am. Yeah. Da, da, da. Then just to tell a quick side story, one day I get a call into a judge's office uh, in their chambers at noontime. And they, so I walk in and say, what's up? And they say, have a seat. We got to talk. And I said, okay. And the phone rings. And the judge answers the phone and, and says, it's for you. Mm. And it's a reporter from the union saying, I heard there's a rumor that you're running for judge. <laughs> is it true? You have to declare. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I can, you know, what do I, do I say? Yes, no, maybe. If I say no, I've closed the door. So I left the door open. And then I went home and called my wife and said, Eileen, guess what? <laughs> and? Was she, she enthusiastic? or She was like, what does that mean? Because yeah. I said, what does that mean? Sure, well, how does it change your life? Right? Yeah. yeah. So and then that led to starting the campaign. So two questions from that. First of all, how did it change your life? But I also want to ask about what was the experience of running for election? That must have been something that different. Was, it turned out to be actually really interesting. And I ultimately kind of enjoyed it. Uh, really? Because the way our campaign was set up, I had a great uh, management team running the, the, helping me run the campaign and some good advice. And I had a really nice wonderful collection of volunteers that came on board as we progressed and um, but we we had a lot of small house meetings and so uh, and we'd often focus because of my reputation as being a public defender everybody assumed I'd be a raging radical or something right so uh, we focused on basically Republican neighborhoods where we could ah. and so you'd have 10 to 20 people in a room and answer questions and have discussions. And it was wonderful. Uh, and then you, I got to really talk in detail about stuff that I cared about. 
and explain how the system really works. And because people really don't know how the legal system works very well unless you've been stuck in it for a while. <laughs> well, we were talking before we went on the air a little yeah. bit about the pros and cons of judges being elected. So yeah. in, a th in a thumbnail, what would you say are the pros and cons <laughs> of, of electing judges? Well, I think, you know, this, the Supreme Court is a good example of the, con of the uh, uh, cons of having judges appointed. Yes. Uh, becomes way too political. And if you get ideologues on the on the bench that aren't uh, aren't geared to being fair and impartial for each case and you know honor honor the laws that exist then you're you're in a mess like we have now at the Supreme Court um, so that's one of the negatives of having appointed judges because depending on who the politician is that's appointing and who they choose to appoint or in elections on the other hand, or an alternative to that. But of course, uh, some people run elections like it's a TV circus and, uh, you know, make promises and say how they're going to be and, and basically set out their agenda before they get to, in order to get elected yeah. and then don't follow the rule of a judge. Yeah, it doesn't seem to me that that role should really have an agenda other right. than the law. Right. I mean, <laughs> like, right I, thing. like, I don't believe judges... Anybody running for judge should should even identify with any political party, for example. One of the questions I got asked when I was campaigning a lot was, what party are you? And I would refuse to answer that question. Yeah. I mean, they can look it up. Yeah, records, matter of record. But there was a principle to not discussing that or being part of that in order to remain and position yourself as being impartial. Well, I'm Keith Porter, and I'm talking today on this Ages Among Us with Tom Anderson. A fascinating story of somebody who's had a very interesting career life and ended it as a Nevada County Superior Court judge, just retired last year. Um, so um, an article in the union quoted you uh, when you retired. Uh, someone called you an exceptionally patient, gentle, and kind jurist who truly cared about his, the litigants that appeared in his court. Well, would you say that's your legacy and um, as opposed to one who might have been known as a tough judge? I hope so. Yeah. I hope that's my legacy. You, you would choose that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I found, you know, especially because everybody that comes into court is in crisis at some level. Right. right? And usually, and it, even for people that have a, tr you know, a speeding ticket, for them it could be very traumatic to have been get a stopped and cited and have to go to court. And everybody has their moment and yeah, their stress level. Yeah. And so it's a fascinating look into humans. Yeah, I can imagine. So uh, I'm told you supported or sponsored initi initiatives like the adult drug court, mental health court, the DUI court. Mm -hmm. uh, why are those things important to a, uh, creating a better community? Oh, they have become, um, they're, they're almost a solution. I mean, there's no t total solution to crime and recycling, but, you know, we've always had a system that's based on punishment, and then that just so they get out of jail and they reoffend. Right. I mean, the statistic for people that don't go through those programs is they go to, people go to prison, they reoffend when they get out at the rate of 70 to 80%. You know, unless they go through a program. So how would how do you respond to people who would just say off the top of their head that the justice system is too lenient and it creates a revolving door to the jail? Well, these programs are exactly the answer to that. Yeah. They stop the revolving door. If uh, <clears throat> we have 
I'll give the best example, I think, is our adult uh, drug court for felons. Uh, these are people that, once they're convicted or plead, admit their offense, they're, ordinarily they would be going to prison. If they sign up for this program, which is usually about two years per person, <clears throat> they do some jail time, but then they, they go into residential rehab, usually for the better part of the first year. And then there's strict requirements that they have to follow as they go through, but it, it's geared to help you know, them getting out of their previous life and becoming what they refer to them, their goal is to become a normie and you know, have a real job and be able to buy a car and have a, have a driver's license and get engaged in the community. And it works. So these are real answers. Real answers. Yeah. The best example is, you know, like I said, people getting out of prison who don't program or anything, they have about a 70 to 80% chance of reoffending within three years. People that go, to, go through these like drug courts, they're reoffending at 20%. So 50% difference. And the cost, I mean, you know, it's, what, $60,000 a year to house an inmate. Right. To send somebody to rehab and just have them come to court isn't hardly negligible. We hardly pay, we hardly pay anything towards the rehab and right. stuff. So, Tom, in our last few minutes, I'd like yeah. to come back to some more personal questions for a minute. Um, what are the personal rewards for you from your work in the community uh, that, that makes it all worthwhile? Um. Every once in a while, somebody will come up and say, thank you for giving me a chance or, you know, explaining something to me in court that I didn't understand. And that's really big. But I see uh, now that I have more time at home with my wife, Eileen, um, and she's a local artist. Oh, we should say uh, Eileen Blodgett, right? Yes, Who Eileen is, Blodgett. Is a well-known local artist. Right. And I can see the appreciation that people give her for helping, you know, she's part of the co-op in Grass Valley, and uh, uh, the, the people who appreciate that other aspect that, that contributes to the community. So then, then you start recognizing that all these little things that all of us, all these people do that volunteer and do this and that yep. throughout the community, like yourself, it makes a big difference to people, and it, and it, and it spreads out. It's a ripple, you know. Is there an accomplishment or a role in your life that you're especially pleased with or proud of? Um, husband, father, mm -hmm. first. And um, I really liked my, my role in the justice system, both as a public defender as a judge. I saw them. I don't see them as being that different because it was all trying to deal with people. Really? Giving them opportunities. You know, also... You know, suffer, they have to suffer consequences sometimes, but that's part of the growth. Right. And people in recovery know that well. You know, you do you, you suffer your consequences for what you did to get in this position, but then the growth that comes out of that when you recognize you're here to change things. Okay, the converse question, I suppose. Anything yeah. you'd care to share about your life that, in retrospect, you'd do differently if you could do, do it all over again? That's not even an option. Right? So no, <laughs> you know, you know, you don't spend time thinking about that. No. All right. Well, hey, if a genie in a bottle gave you a, a one wish for the community to make the community better, what would you say would be the thing that would make our community better, the, the most better, the better, betterest? Um, housing. Yeah. Housing and something to do. I. It's you know it's a Utah Phillips 
uh, summary. Yeah. You know, a person needs good food to eat, a safe place to live, and something to do. So what do you do in the community uh, now that you're retired and have all this leisure time? What, what, are, your, what are your activities in the community? Well, right now, uh, I'm just sort of supporting uh, Eileen Blodgett as an artist ah. and uh, dabbling with a couple other nonprofits here and there. They've asked for some legal advice or legal help, and I'm working part-time as a judge uh, in this county and other counties when they need somebody to fill in for somebody who's sick or on vacation. And that's where I am right now, and uh, okay. a few other meetings here and there to <laughs> see what else I'm going to do next. Oh, so you've got you've got some future possibilities. Oh, uh, for okay. sure. Well, I, I know some nonprofits that'll be looking out for yeah, you. And there's there's no shortage of opportunity here, which is wonderful. So, why do you think our community attracts and keeps people that could could be bigger fish in bigger puddles somewhere. I mean, they're, they're yeah. here because they choose to be, and they're very capable, very very excellent in their yeah. field. Why do you think that's the case? I don't know, because there's, there's big fish that come here and, and retire here and choose to live here. I think it's a, it's a connection of all the, the culture uh, that just comes together, the artists, the musicians, the writers, and there's that just spark and makes people more alive. Yeah, I ponder that all the time, and I, I don't have yeah. my own answer, but I think it is a very special place. And yeah. I, I, I really enjoy it, and I appreciate you being a part of it. It's, uh, it's great to get better acquainted with you. Mm-hmm.